You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a happy Rico Bronia. We're going to do something very, very, very positive today. We're only going to talk about good things. We're going to talk about the great free agent signings in the history of the New York Mets. Sometimes we talk too much negative. I don't know why I do that. I don't know why you do that. So today, it's all positive. Now, a couple of things in terms of free agent signings. We need to clarify here. And you tell me how you view a free agent signing because there is one little debate, though this will play more into the bad free agent signings, which will happen at a later date. When you trade for a guy and a guy is on your team or you develop that guy, and then that guy gets to free agency and you re-sign him, does that count as a free agent signing? To me, it does not. Pete, how do you clarify that? I agree. Once they are on your team, whether you've traded for them, whether you brought them to the system and they hit the market, they're still your possession until somebody else takes them. Very good. I agree with you. Now, for pro free agent signings, for good free agent signings, the one that would eliminate, just so we can mention this right off the top and there's no debate, is Mike Piazza. Because as you recall, the Mets traded for Mike Piazza. They traded Preston Wilson, Ed Yornell, Jeff Getz. He comes over in the middle of 1998 and then becomes a free agent. And during that kind of signing window, the Mets re-signed him to the record-breaking $90-plus million deal. That's not a free agent signee. Now, the reason I ask that is because at a later date, I'm going to be really negative. And we're going to talk about bad free agent signings. And there's a lot of them that fit that mold, specifically Oliver Perez. But now that we got that off our chest, let's talk about good signings. So here's how it's going to work. I want to refresh everyone's memory. I want to refresh your memory, Pete. I even want to refresh my memory. So we're going to go through what I deem, and if I'm missing one, certainly at me, if you will, the free agent signings that really were good, or at least could be in the discussion of good and productive. And I came up with about 12 or 13 of them. Once we go through them, you know, rather quickly, or maybe not, now it'll be refreshed in our mind and we can all determine the four best free agent signings in the history of the Mets. Why four? Mount Rushmore, damn it. The Mount Rushmore of free agent signings in the history of the New York Mets. So let's start in the early 90s because really that's when the Mets started signing free agents. And I'm going to surprise you with something because sometimes there are free agent signings that history will tell you were bad. But if you look at it closer, maybe they weren't bad. What I mean by that is Bobby Bonilla. I'm going to start right there. Now, why would Bobby Bonilla be discussed? Hear me out, Pete. 
Bobby Bonilla has talked about all these years later because of the fact that they're still paying him. It's the most overrated, stupid, lazy discussion in the history of sports. So this will help you out when you're with your family next time and someone wants to make a joke about Bobby Bonilla. Say, hey, can you tell me about Bruce Suter's contract? Oh, oh, you don't know? Google it, bitch. That's right. Just make sure that you don't say bitch to like a family member who you love. And that's kind of disrespectful. But the whole Bobby Bonilla contract thing is much ado about nothing. It's just an excuse for us to hate the Wilpons. There's other reasons to not like the Wilpons. So here's the deal with Bobby Bonilla. At age 29 years old, the Mets stole him away from the Pittsburgh Pirates and paid him a four-year, $23 million deal. The problem was Bobby Bonilla had a big effing mouth and at his opening press conference had a smile on his face and said to the media, (laughs) you can't whip this smile off my face and then made some comment about, I'll show you the Bronx. So Bobby did not get off to a great start. He also didn't have the greatest first year in 1992, which is sort of similar, a pattern you'll notice with free agents through the history of the Mets, good or bad. His first year here, He only hit 19 home runs. He only drove in 70 runs. He missed about 35 games due to injury, and his OPS was down to a 779. Not the worst numbers in the world, not what you expected. But here's what hurt Bobby. The team sucked. Following year, worst team money could buy, 1993. He hit 34 home runs. He had an 874 OPS. Is that bad? No. Was his defense crappy? Yes. Was his attitude crappy? Absolutely. But he was productive. 1994, before the strike, 20 home runs, 67 RBIs, 878 OPS. Not bad. Not bad at all. Then in 1995, this would be the year the Mets would finally trade him because final year of his contract, Mets are going nowhere. They want to dump him. He had a 984 OPS, hit 10 home runs, drove in 46 runs. They traded him to the Baltimore Orioles in the deal for Alex Ochoa. You can't blame Bobby Bonilla that Alex Ochoa wasn't very good. He was a five-tool bust. That's not Bonilla's fault. So here's my problem here, Pete. I just gave you the numbers. Was Bobby Bonilla a bad free agent signing? No, but... They remember him. A lot of Mets fans, I think, will still go back to later on in 99. Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) That's not the same. They traded for him years later because they wanted to dump Mel Rojas' contract. God bless him. And so they took back Bobby Bonilla. And yes, he was playing freaking poker with Ricky Henderson and he hit 150 in 1999. But in fairness, that's not a part of the free agent signing that took place in 1992. And you're very accurate with that, but that's the problem. That's the sour taste the Mets fans remember. And that's why that along with the deferred contract, which again is nothing. It's at this point in time, it's nothing. When you mix those two together, it on uh, to to Mets fans' minds, it it feels so negative. But reality is, no, the years that he was here, besides the first year, he was good. He he was a productive Met. Now, here's the truth. I I, I understand this. This is when I started kind of figuring out baseball and really uh, watching baseball every day. 1992, I always say, is the first year I really remember. In 1993, I was off the charts into it. Obviously, those were not good years. I picked. 
I mean, what can you do? I don't pick it. I'm a kid. He became the face of the worst team money could buy. And so much like, and this is long before our time, I understand that, much like Horace Clark became known as the era of bad Yankee baseball, Bobby Bonilla became the face of bad Met baseball. And it was also his dealing with the media. There was a story that he called up Jay Horowitz in the middle of a game to connect to the official score so he could yell at them for calling an error on him defensively. Bobby was a problem. I I acknowledge that. I'm not trying to tell you this was the greatest thing ever. I guess what I want to shed the light on is that he was actually productive as an offensive player. It was not him coming here and sucking for four years. There were a lot of things that contributed to us not liking him. Uh, Certainly the team was bad, not all his fault. He was bad defensively, whether it was at third base or right field. He didn't have a great attitude. But when you look at the four-year $23 million deal, uh, he actually offensively was pretty productive. The other guy who kind of fits that is Eddie Murray. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Mets signed Eddie Murray to a two-year contract. It was the same offseason. They brought Bobby Bonilla in. Eddie Murray was at the end of his Hall of Fame career. He was 36 years old. But one thing I remember about Eddie is he was steady. He went out and played 156 games in 1992. He played 154 games in 1993. Solid numbers, nothing amazing, but went out there and played. And so while Murray and Bonilla are a part of this horrific era in Met baseball, they performed. And that's just the reality of it. They weren't the main culprits for why the Mets were bad. So I just wanted to mention them. I'm not saying they are going to be on the Mount Rushmore, but they certainly need to at least be considered and certainly have to be remarked as good free agent signings, I think. Because if you ask a Met fan, okay, tell me the worst free agent signings in the history of the Mets, they're going to mention Bobby Bonilla. And I get it. I get why they say that. But 779, 874, 878, 984, those are his OPSs. If Francisco Lindor does that in the next four years, we're very excited. I'm not kidding. We're very excited. Oh, yeah. All right, let's get to this one. This could be, it's a weird free agent signing because he didn't come here with hype. In fact, when he was signed as a free agent, nobody knew who he was. And that was the signing of a former replacement player, Rick Reed. The New York Mets signed Rick Reed at age 32 years old. They plopped him in the rotation in 1997, and he had his best season of his career he would never match it again he went 13 and 9 with a 2.89 era and he went out and threw a 208 inning season he follows that up in 1998 by going 16 and 11 with a 3.48 era and those 212 innings here's what's unfortunate while rick reed was a very solid part of the 99 team and the 2000 team He wasn't nearly as good as what he was in 97 and 98. In fact, it was a stretch of games. I think it was 1998 where he had a couple of four inning perfect games. Like he 
kind of flirted with perfect games numerous times. He was nicknamed Mini Maddox, was very similar in terms of his ability to throw strikes. But in 1999, he missed a few uh, starts due to injury. 11 and 5, 4, 5, 8 ERA. So kind of ballooned up. 2000, 11 and 5, 4, 11 ERA. And finally, his final season with the team was in 01. They ended up trading him for Matt Lawton. He went 8 and 6 with a 3, 4, 8 ERA. I think in terms of the expectations for him, uh, he was as good as it gets because he didn't come here the way Bobby Bonilla came here. He didn't come here the way Eddie Murray came here. He came here as a scab. I mean, that's how he was referred to a replacement player. And he became a really solid part of a rotation that made the postseason in back-to-back years. And he was also the starting pitcher in the only game the New York Mets won in the 2000 World Series. He was the starter of game three of that World Series against El Duque. So major props to Rick Reed. I know it's weird because you don't think of an under-the-radar guy in that tone, but as very solid free agent signing by the New York Mets going into the season of 1997. Okay. This one, it's funny. I'm trying to be positive. We're doing good free agent signings. And I'm going to have to bring up guys that we hate. Because <laughs> Not quite. Oh, okay. Okay. This is a really interesting discussion. We're about to have it. Because I think I may say this name and you'll say that was not a good free agent signing. You ready? Four years, $42.5 million in 2003 for Tom Glavin. Now, before we go into the details, Tom Glavin as a free agent signing. First word that comes to mind. Good. Really? Yeah. It it ended terribly. Yes, that, that's that. I mean, that, that's that, that, that's how I could put it. But I thought he was good. I I did. He was serviceable. Yeah. It, no. No. That that's the word. I think you just hit it. And Tom Glavin came in horribly and left horribly because you mentioned obviously the last start he ever made game one or last start he ever made for the Mets. He obviously went back to Atlanta, but game one sixty two two thousand seven the Marlins. He was awful. It was as bad as it gets. His first start as a Met was almost as bad <laughs> opening day 2003 against the Chicago Cubs, a game the Mets would lose 15 to two or 15 to three. I forget the exact score, but he sandwiched his Met career with the worst possible starts that you could ever have. If you could look past those two things, okay? And you could look past the fact that he's a Hall of Famer who didn't pitch like a Hall of Famer, Tom Glavin was really, really reliable as a New York Met. Because one thing that's really important from a starting pitcher is availability. It's going out there every five days. I'm going to give you these numbers around Tommy's five years with the New York Mets. Yeah, it was five years. He signed a four-year contract, though. Did he end up getting an extra year? Maybe there was an extra. I, you know what? I, I, can you look that up, by the way? Because he signed a four-year contract, but he actually spent five years with the Mets. So maybe it was a fifth year. Maybe there was a, a vesting option. I, I Honestly, I don't remember. I thought it was a four-year, $42 million deal when they signed him. So he ended up being here for five years. Maybe they re-signed him to a one-year deal. Is well, yeah, because it, it was actually a three-year deal with a fourth-year option. So where the hell did the fifth year come from? They must have re-signed him. Okay, yeah. that's fine. So I guess the fifth year doesn't necessarily count in the whole free agency thing, but whatever. 
If they um, only knew what was going to happen in the last game of the season. I know. Could have, could have beaten them to it. Uh, 2003, <laughs> he makes 32 starts. 2004, he makes 33 starts. 2005, 33 starts. 2006, 32 starts. 2007, 34 starts. He threw 200 innings in three of the five years he was with the New York Mets. I'm bitter against him because of game five of the NLCS in 2006, more than even game 162 in 2007. The Mets gave him a lead. I think it was the fourth inning. Game five, swing game in the whole series, immediately gave the lead back. And I remember watching that game on TV, and I looked at my dad and I said, this is why he's here. Like, this guy's here for this effing moment. And he blew it. And it really pissed me off. So I actually am bitter at him more for that game and that performance than I even am for game 162. But it goes back to the old question. Would you rather have a guy that's great but misses half the time? Or would you rather have a guy that goes out there, gets the ball every five days, and he's okay? Because Glavin's numbers in his middle three years with the Mets were okay. They were middle to back of the rotation kind of stuff. I'll give them to you. 2003, bad first year. What else is new? 9-14 and 14 with a 4-5 ERA. 2004, 11-14 and 14 with a 3-6 ERA. Okay, 3-6. 2005, 13-13 and 13 with a 3-5 ERA. Uh. And then 2006, where the Mets obviously had a dominant regular season, he was 15-7 and seven with a 3.82 ERA, and then he closed his Met career with a 4-4-5 ERA. The numbers are not Hall of Fame worthy, and that's the thing you have to look past. He was never going to be the guy he was in Atlanta, but for five years, that son of a bitch went out there and pitched every five days. So I would define it as a reliable signing. He went out there and he pitched, and there's some value to that. But none of us will be able to look past the way it started and the way it ended. 